0: Everybody and welcome to the Myo Minds podcast. I'm your host, George, and here at Myo Minds, we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi Tiana, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I appreciate it
0: oh I, I i kind of i felt like i felt compelled to i saw um what did i see i think i saw you did a post with um i, I can't remember his name but it's the the evolve um instagram um, yeah. the psychologist i remember there being some kind of post with you two together and i've tried to get his call isn't it? his name Carl, right Carl Bukosby, yeah, yes.
1: he's, my, he's my um injury sports psychologist
0: ah amazing so i I spoke to Carl before and we were going to do a podcast a while ago and then we never have. And I I saw that post and I was like, I'm going to have to ask both of them to come on again. So I haven't messaged Carl yet, (laughs) but Carl, if you listen to this and I haven't messaged you, I've forgotten, but I will do. (laughs) I remember. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, I thought, Oh, this would be a great thing. And you obviously, you know, you've got this, um, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu background, and that's something yeah. that uh, I don't know very much about. But I'm I'm kind of I'm hoping to start soon. Start. Oh really? Like, trying yeah. So I thought we could talk a bit about that, and yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. and uh, yeah, I'm kind of excited to to speak. But how's your how's your day been so far?
1: Um, pretty quiet. Can't complain. Yeah. Uh, it's very hot here in Madrid. Yeah. Um, and later on today, I'm going to train i've actually i'm actually injured at the moment so there's only so much training i can do Mm -hmm. um but yeah pretty chilled day very relaxed
0: yeah good good enjoying the the uh, well is it is it like a nice amount of heat or is it like the horrible kind
1: no it's a nice amount now over the summer it was like 43 degrees but now it which was too hot but now it's it's i think about 25 26
0: yeah, yeah, that that would be too hot for me. I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm such like your stereotypical like English person where if it gets to like 20 degrees, I'm like it's too hot. It's too hot. Uh, I can't. I can't hack it. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you've had a good day. I've been. I, I've had today off work. This is a, a weird time for me doing the podcast. It's currently two o'clock here um and it's a very strange time for me doing it but it's nice I feel much more awake normally it's like the end of my work day and I'm like oh like I, I kind of have to ramp myself up for it but I actually feel kind of energized it's been a good day good. um so let's get the questions rolling um I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you you're like we said you you compete in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu I um, do. Yes. how did you get into it? actually you know first of all what is it what is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the people who don't know
1: Okay, so Brazilian Jiu Jitsu came out of a really famous um, family in Brazil called the Gracie's and they basically adapted traditional Jiu Jitsu so that there was more work on the ground. So in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, there's no striking, there's no hitting people in the face. It's a lot of groundwork, it's a lot of um, locks, it's a lot of control on the ground. But that said, in a competition, you always start standing. So people who have a background in judo or wrestling do have that that advantage.
0: Mm, yeah, and I I I've known of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu through I'm a big fan of the UFC. Um, and i know yeah. that royce royce gracie was one of the first kind of people in there and he just battered everyone and that's when everyone was like oh this this seems like a thing we should start doing
1: yeah there's a lot of emphasis on technique over strength mm. so that's why you get a lot of really small women and actually a lot of smaller men um competing in brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's all done by weight categories mm-hmm. so that so everyone there's something for everybody
0: mm. yeah and like like i was saying to you just i'm um, I want to, I, I've done boxing before I, I was into uh, boxing. I did, I did a bit of that um, and I enjoyed it, but I just didn't enjoy getting smashed in the face um, yeah. quite as often as I was. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think I was quite as good as I, as I hoped I would be. Um, so I've stopped doing boxing, um, but I'm wanting to, I'm moving down to London soon and I'm wanting to take on like a new sport or something, something new that I can enjoy um and I, I thought of trying brazilian jiu-jitsu what do you what do you think
1: yeah do it and in london there are so many clubs no matter where you are in london or even if mm. you're like me from the outskirts i'm from buckinghamshire there are a lot of clubs down south so you you'd you you'd fit in no problem finding a good coach
0: Okay amazing I'm just thinking for people because I imagine the title of of this podcast is going to have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in it somewhere so there might be some people listening thinking oh I'm thinking of getting into it have you got like a top tip uh, for me and for other people listening who might be considering starting?
1: Yeah be really patient with yourself because there are a lot of details and you'll find that no matter how physically fit you are when you start sparring which is fighting. Uh, we call it sparring, um, you'll feel very unfit but that's completely normal but I would say don't give up and tap out early so you don't get injured that's really important as well.
0: Okay yeah tap early I'll, I'll remember that <laughs> I feel like someone will just someone's arm will go around my neck for like a second I'll be like no
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think um, a lot of beginners don't want to tap but that's the worst thing you can not do you need to tap yeah. out early.
0: Yeah, leave your ego at the door. Exactly. Just safety first. Okay. Yeah. I will I will do my best. Um so yeah, how did you get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? How long ago was it? How long have you been doing it for?
1: Um I've been doing it for about 7 years. Um my I met my boyfriend and he was doing it, but I didn't know anything about jiu-jitsu at all. Um but I was traveling around the UK with him to com- when he was competing. He was a purple belt at the time. And I was just transfixed at these women at the side of the mat waiting to fight. And the my, the extent of my knowledge at that time was if you tap out, it's over, that's all I knew. But I was just fascinated, but I didn't actually think it would be, it was something I would be able to do because it was, it's so, it's a very intricate art. There are so many details. And like I said, I didn't really understand what I was watching, but I was just fascinated by it. So about, um a year or so just under a year later I had a go at it myself I was beyond bad I was really I'm not being harsh on myself I was really bad but a lot of people are at the beginning and um to be honest I didn't enjoy it that much because I couldn't dedicate the time I needed to to train because it's not like a sport where you can do it just once or twice a week you have to train Mm. well if you want to compete you have to train a lot And as I said, there are so many details that you can forget so easily that you really do need to be consistent if you want Mm -hmm. to see progress. So it took me quite a while to enjoy it and I began to I began to enjoy it more when I dedicated more time to it.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's I suppose, yeah, those like nitty gritty. um detail I've been like I said I've been considering taking it on myself so I've been watching like videos and stuff for beginners and I think a lot a, a lot of the time what they say is it will be really frustrating at first because you won't you'll you'll be really bad and you won't know why you're bad because there's so yeah. many little things um they kind of get into it but I suppose, I suppose as you get better and as you um learn the the skills and and they kind of come to you more naturally I suppose it builds your confidence
1: absolutely yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but then the more the more you learn you realize the more you don't actually know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's the the Dunning-Kruger effect isn't it where yeah. when you first for people who don't know when you first start learning about something you you think oh I'm really good at this like I know what everything that I'm doing and then as you learn more you realize there's a lot of stuff you had no idea about and yeah. then you slowly kind of get confidence again um so yeah thank you um so we this is the my mind's podcast and as with every my mind's podcast we like to talk a bit about our mental health and the kind of psychology of, of sport and of exercise and how do you think we already spoke about the kind of confidence i suppose but how do you think brazilian jiu-jitsu affected your mental health
1: well this is quite a double-edged sword because i did have an eating disorder for many many years and I started recovering when I did, started getting into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, it's given me a lot more confidence that I can defend myself. I generally walk taller, and I, have, I feel more confident in myself. Um, but on the other hand, I have had two ACL surgeries in 13 months, and because I take BJJ so seriously, and I was competing about twice a month before I got injured, um, the effect of being injured on my mental health has been horrendous. So that's why I, I when I came across Carl, Dr. Carl Cosby uh, of your injury on um, Instagram, I knew I had to work with him because he places a lot of emphasis on not just understanding the injury, but understanding the person. Mm. And he has an idea about my mental health So, we work really well together. So, on one hand, it's been absolutely great for me because I'm very heavily medicated for anxiety. And um, as competitions approach, I have to taper my meds Mm -hmm. so that I'm not so tired because they make me very, very tired. Okay. Um, But competing for me is so crucial because I live in such a high um, state of anxiety that when I always feel like I'm about to compete, like I said to to my boyfriend the other day, I feel like I'm about to compete in the Europeans and all Mm -hmm. I was doing was sat at home. So for me, it is absolutely fundamental that I compete. It is really, really important. So to have that taken away from me um, due to injury has been really, really tough. So there are definitely positives, but there are some negatives when you take it as seriously as I do.
0: Yeah, I think the 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 effects of injury is something that I think a lot of people have felt if they're into sport or into training or into the gym or anything like that. And that, yeah, the the kind of at least for me, it was the impact it has on who you think you are as a person. Because I yeah. think you, you're, usually you've built so much of, you know, I am this person who competes in this sport or I'm this person who, you know, for me, it was rugby um, when I was younger. And then I, I broke my spine playing rugby and I was told I'm not allowed to play anymore. So I, you know, that for me was an immediate, like, I was completely written off. And my whole, I had this whole, I, you know, for a very long time, um just not knowing who I was and I think what I did was I turned mm-hmm. to my eating disorder and to my exercise addiction and to the gym as a way of like this is the new version of me this is something else I can do
1: yeah yeah
0: mm. so when when, when you're injured do you feel like you know d- does it feel like uh it, it affects who you think you are as a person or does it like affect that kind of security you have in yourself
1: Absolutely, like my identity is, I feel is just like gone. <clears throat> so that's something I'm working on with, um, with Carl because my identity was as an athlete. My background is actually academia, but um, jiu- Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has been my life for a very long time. I had a very, very good run in 2019, just before I got injured. And it was basically all I did, aside from work, and um, yeah, I had a massive, and still have a massive identity crisis because I can't compete, and to me that is horrible. It's really difficult. It makes you question everything about who you are, and I I know I know in the back of my mind the not every part of my being is um, revolves around jiu jitsu. But it's easy to say that, but believing it is something different, something very different.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think the fact that you're talking about this um, and being so open about it is, is really great because I'm sure there are people listening on the pod. Um, in fact, I know there will be people listening on the pod who have that exact same feeling um, yeah. and have that, yeah, that kind of. Yeah, you you know there's so much other things about you. Like you know that you know you, there are people around you who love you, and you know that you know, you're obviously very intelligent if your background is in academia, and you know you know these things about yourself. But it's so hard when when you've internalized that this sport or this way of training is so important to you, when that gets snatched away from you, it can feel really hard.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: So you, met, you mentioned um, you have experience with an eating disorder, which which I do as well. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Like, was that was that before you started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Did you say?
1: Yeah, it was when I was about thirteen. I okay. was ill for fifteen years, so quite a long time. I was very badly bulimic, very mm. very badly, but it was never about my weight. It was about control. There are, there, are three, there are three incidences in particular I can remember when I was a lot younger. And these three incidences um, caused me quite a lot of distress. And I happened to be eating. I just happened to be eating at the time. And I didn't know it then, but now I'm a lot older. I realized that I associated eating with distress. And that's how my bulimia developed. And uh, when I was younger, I was a track and field athlete. I was a high jumper and a sprinter. And I knew that I needed to fuel my body. I knew that I needed to eat. and But it was so hard not to be sick before competitions and because it would make you tired and all the rest of it. And it's just, it, it was it, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy um, but I think a lot of people don't realise that it's not actually about your weight. It's about other things. Well, in my case, it was about control, controlling things that I felt I wasn't in control in. So I began to measure things in terms of absence instead of presence. Okay. And, um, Can you describe that
0: a bit more? What do you mean by absence instead of presence?
1: Um, well, I never actually believed I was fat. It had, it, as I said, it had nothing to do with my weight. But then, my I felt like my sense of self worth would go up when the scale went down. Mm-hmm. And I, I only weighed kilos. I was very very small, like stone. Mm. Um, and I'm just under five foot seven. So I was I was very underweight, and um, I was being sick all the time. I really mm. struggled to keep food down, and um. Another thing I I think escapes people is if you're addicted to, like, drugs or alcohol, alcohol in particular is everywhere. You mm. know, you can't go down any high street without there being an off-license or even a restaurant, um, but you can distance yourself from that to a certain degree. If you've mm-hmm. got her- heroin addiction, um, you cut yourself off from those people that you're hanging around with, You you know don't contact your dealers etc as hard as it is but with you can you can survive without alcohol you can survive without heroin you can survive without other drugs you cannot survive without food Mm. so you have to think about food in a completely different way and I was I was very difficult to treat because I have comorbidity with other psychiatric and psychological disorders so when um I was in treatment I was at um the Seacroft Eating Disorder Center in uh, Leeds, but I was an outpatient, I wasn't an inpatient. And um, I I remember one of the specialists saying to me, after oh, she was reading my, my food diary of everything I was eating and then throwing up, and she would say to me, Why, did, why don't you just eat less? And it's like, It doesn't work. Oh my like God.
0: That. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it doesn't, I was referred there twice and I personally didn't find it very useful, but I also think that's to do with the other mental health issues I had. It wasn't just an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So, um, the thing I actually found comforting about bulimia is that when you feel so incredibly empty inside, it fills you up and then you empty yourself out. And, um, Afterwards, it's very strange because you have this really relaxed feeling because you are so tired after mm-hmm. putting so much strain on your body um, that you tend to sleep pretty well. But it's I'm not saying that to encourage anyone to develop bulimia because it is a horrendous, horrendous illness. Um, and yeah, I, I struggle with it for a very, very long time. Mm. Um and I, at one point, I felt it was the only thing I was good at in life, which is yeah. pretty sad. Um, and it became like a desire for power that strips you of all your power and a desire for strength that ultimately strips you of all your strength because you don't have any energy. And that had a lot, that and a car crash had a lot to do with why I had to stop doing track and field. Because I was so tiny, I was so tiny. I remember one weekend being sick um, over a Saturday and a Sunday. I was sick seven times because I used to count, which is gross. I know. Um, and then I jumped a personal best in high jump, and I was thinking, "Wow, the human body is actually incredible." Mm. But it's it is it's a very very lonely illness. It's a very secretive illness. Mm -hmm. um and with a lot of people you they don't actually lose weight yeah so it's I think that's where anorexia is different because obviously the weight loss can be uh, much more noticeable but with bulimia people can walk around at what is essentially a healthy weight um I don't know how I've still got my teeth but I do my teeth are okay I do have some enamel enamel loss and in about two and a half three years time I have to have a bone scan okay um to see if I have any um permanent damage because I was very very unwell
0: yeah uh, thank you so much for for sharing that and I know that the people people listening who are going through similar stuff and yeah thank you for the kind of bravery to do that because I know how, how hard that is and uh, you know when I whenever I tell my story I normally choke up a bit and you did very well to kind uh-huh, of to get through it so um yeah i i you know i resonate massively with a lot of what you said and i think you know i I, um had kind of bulimia tendencies i don't think i'm diagnosed with bulimia i think i'm technically diagnosed with binge eating disorder um but i i used to make myself sick and i don't know if you experienced this or if, if this is something that you have thought of but um it wasn't a thought process for me like if I if I ate some food and I went to go make myself sick I didn't sit there and go right I've eaten this food so now what I need to do is go and make myself sick it was just a the only way I can explain it is just a it was like a feeling it was like breathing it was like this is just what I do now I've eaten this food so then I just I just thought I just got this feeling and I thought okay and I just kind of find myself walking to the toilet to go make myself sick and I didn't actually you know, there was no thought process because I think a lot of people say, we'll just stop doing it but sometimes mm. it's it's become such a I don't want to say habit because I think that that like belittles it but um, you know, it becomes almost like like a habit where it you just it's not even a thought thing. you don't think right now I'm gonna go do it. you just do it. So trying to stop yeah. is so much harder than people realize sometimes. Oh
1: yeah, stopping is really really, really difficult. But with me, I actually planned my whole life around it. Mm-hmm. um even to the point of when i went to university um my number one priority was having my own bathroom that and I, and when i looked around the campuses i was scoping out where the toilets were
0: mm-hmm.
1: so for for me it was um it is something it was something that i planned my whole life around mm-hmm. And that makes me really sad to say because like when people talk about university, they talk about having like a great time, making new friends. Whereas I felt pretty alienated because I was still really unwell. Like I said, I I, like socially um, didn't really have much of a social life. People thought I was really strange. Uh, I would cry a lot in lectures. so because I actually ironically ended up teaching at that I was teaching at the University of Leeds where I studied when people ask me about my time at university, I skip over being a student and just focus on the academic side with teaching. So but it, it does make me sad because I feel like I've lost so many years of my life to eating disorders, um, but that changed with jujitsu and. That's something that I think is really, really positive because although, as I said in, in jujitsu, there are weight categories, um, I now focus on okay, instead of instead of um, you know attacking my body by making myself sick and hurting myself, I now use my body to attack people on the mats with pressure, with submissions, and I've just done a whole one hundred and eighty with it. And one thing I will say, though, is that um, particularly with eating disorders, I mean, I'm 36, so I'm older than I'm I'm older than most in the sport who competes as much as I do. But um, I think if Instagram was around when I was really ill, I do think I'd probably be dead. And I don't say that to be dramatic. I say that because if the eating disorder didn't kill me, it would have been suicide without a doubt.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I 100% resonate with those, those feelings. And I think Instagram definitely played a huge role on mine. And I've, I've been to the point where, you know, I, I, um, I haven't attempted suicide, but I've, I've gotten about as close as you can, you can get, um, without, without doing it. Uh, and I, I think having social media, definitely played into that to the point where you know I I think a big thing for me is I think it is for a lot of people who have mental health issues is those comparisons and comparing yourself to other people and being on social media is so addictive and it's so easy to compare yourself both both in a positive manner and a negative manner like sometimes I'll go on there to try and make myself feel better by thinking oh I'm doing more than these other people or I'm doing you know something I'm I'm training all the time and they're out partying or whatever it was Mm -hmm. at the time that I thought made me better but it just it just encourages that um that yeah those thoughts and those patterns in your head uh, so yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's kind of a good thing that um, you you didn't you weren't exposed to that when you were going yeah. through it.
1: Yeah, because like I said, I was so unwell that I just think it would have. I don't think I'd be here now. Mm-hmm. The good thing about living in Spain, well, I say the good thing. There's a lot of there's generally a lot of stigma about mental health and that and eating disorders and all associated uh, mental health issues. But in Spain, they they're kind of like I feel like people are so scared to talk about it that when you do, it's taken so seriously that you do get the help you need. And I can very vividly remember being in Leeds and I was very, very badly bulimic. And I went to see my doctor because I was having a a mental health crisis. And um, I had to be removed from the waiting room because I was in floods and floods of tears and people were just staring at me. So I was put in a private room and I went to see my, my favorite doctor. And she said to me, Tiana, just hang in there. You're seeing your psychiatrist on Friday and you'll get a date for when you can be seen at the eating disorders clinic. So I was like, okay, just hang in there till Friday, hang in there till Friday. Um, On Thursday I had another massive meltdown. I was sent to see the psychiatrist he said, just hang in there tomorrow. You'll have a date. And Friday came, I was feeling quite hopeful And the date for my actual eating disorders assessment was a year in advance. And I just remember being, it it was, it was such a daze. I walked into Leeds city center and I just sat down outside the boots on Wellington street. And I just cried and cried and cried. I physically couldn't talk. People were asking me if I was okay. I, I couldn't get my words out. And over here in Spain, that does not happen you get a lot of help so I'm definitely at the moment anyway living in the right country but I'm I'm completely covered recovered from my eating disorder now completely recovered mm. um but I, I I say that but I think it's always something that's there mm-hmm. because you get better you learn as I said you learn how to deal with food in a different way but it's always in the back of your mind mm but I would absolutely 100% say I'm recovered mm. um, because particularly during jiu-jitsu, um, we have this submission called a triangle, which is where, which if you do jiu-jitsu, you'll learn this quite quickly in the fundamentals class. You choke, It's called the submission is called a triangle and you choke people with your thighs. Now on Instagram, there's loads of girls who want a thigh gap, maybe some men as well who want a thigh gap, but when you do triangles, you need to close that thigh gap to get the person to tap. So I've really developed an appreciation for what my body can do and how I can use it to submit people, really. And so that, that
0: be- that, that's such an amazing, I think um, you know, one of the ways exercise and, and sport and things can be used in eating disorder recovery is by giving people a, you know, a different perspective on how their food or how exercise can, uh, can affect their body and how it can be used you can, you can use it to show you how you can perform and how you can actually, you know, do things. And, um, yeah. it sounds to me like that's kind of what, what's gone, what happened to you.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. the same with me. I, I think, um, originally the gym for me was a place to burn calories and a bit, a place to, like do as much exercise as possible. Whereas now mm. for me, um, the way I eat and the way I exercise is to help, me prefer, to help me perform, to help me be stronger, help me lift heavier weights yeah. um, and not in order to change the way I look. Mm. And and I can, I, you know, I can honestly say that that's when I'm in the gym now, I don't, I'm not thinking about like, what's going to make me look a certain way. I'm thinking like, you know, what's going to help me lift a heavier weight or something. And that really helps me kind of keep on top of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think changing the mindset around it really does help. But again, that's not easy and mm. that takes a lot of time. Yeah. But for me, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was the way to do it.
0: Mm. Mm. And I'm sorry to hear about the um the the weight you had for the eating disorder assessment. And I think that's something that's um quite common in the UK, which is really yeah. sad. Uh, And I I did a podcast, I've done a couple podcasts actually with Hope Virgo, who, who kind of pushes this narrative of, um, I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that's often an issue is, is people's BMI gets taken into account. And, you know, we know that eating disorders are a mental health issue. They're not necessarily like you can have severe anorexia and be morbidly obese. Technically, you know, you could just have developed it at a certain stage and not kind of got to that point where you would, in air quotes, a low enough weight yet. Um, And it means that so many people do have to wait for a significant amount of time. Did you, Mm. did did the kind of doctors say why you had to wait so long?
1: Just waiting list, just so many other people needing help and Mm. lack of resources. So, and I was put through quite urgently as well. So that was so disappointing. Mm. And I honestly felt like, again, it sounds hugely dramatic, but I felt like the world had ended because I had, I had, been hanging in there to get this appointment and to find out I had to wait a year just for an assessment. And then after that, it was six months mm. to be seen. So it was really tough. And you, yeah. you feel so lonely. You feel so lonely because people can't relate to you. People don't really understand you. They know you're not well, but they think they have to say something special to you and they don't know what to say. So they say nothing at all. And it is it's a very, very lonely illness
0: very lonely yeah it, re- it really is and again I, I completely um resonate with that and I think for me as well because mine was all around like muscularity and mm-hmm. you know the the kind of people people are happy to people are happy to make comments about you um, if it's around like a muscularity thing like people will tell me that my arms look big or my arms look smaller or, or anything and um, quite happily because no one even contemplates that that would ever be an issue for someone and um, but my eating disorder and my exercise addiction was around the fact that I wanted to be more muscular not because I wanted to be thinner or I wanted yeah. to you know for me it was the 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 goal orientation i had was i want to get bigger and i want to get more muscular but i also want to be lean um yeah. and there's there was all like again that confusion around like you know what is what are people are allowed to say and i think off often i didn't know what people were supposed to say to me either because i didn't know what would make me feel better so it's it feels kind of you feel lost in that as well because you don't even know what you want people to say
1: well, i just wanted a normal conversation mm. just about anything and people I think they were just just scared or didn't understand or didn't know what to say. But there's this, there's always this thing that they feel they have to say something special. It's like, no, ask me how my rabbit is. Ask me, mm. you know, ask me something banal. Because, mm. you know, when you spend so much time with mental health professionals, you kind of want a break. You want a bit of normality. Mm. And that's that's what I found really tough. Mm. Really, really tough.
0: Yeah. And you, you said that you, um you kind of, you, you're, you're doing much better now and you don't have your eating disorder yeah. anymore. How, how did that progress? Like, you know, was that, did you just kind of get better all of a sudden or did you like, you know, what did you do to, to kind of get to that point?
1: Do you know what? I was talking to my partner about this the other day. I have severe, severe memory loss from 2000, between 2007 to 2009 um, because I was, very ill with numerous other things as well. And I, I, I think, how did I get better? And it certainly wasn't overnight. It was very, very slow. Um, and I think it all started when I met my partner. Um, I was still, I still had some relapses when, in our particularly in our first year together, but I started lifting weights I started lifting weights and I felt mentally a lot better and something my partner always says is Tiana, you need to fuel the tank. And that had nothing to do as in like you need to eat because I'm a natural power lifter. I'm not actually a natural at jitsu, I just work really hard at it. Um, And he says to me, okay, what are you going to eat? You need to fuel the tank. And he would say that regardless of knowing that I had bulimia. So, Um, The way I thought about food very, very slowly changed, but very, very slowly. It certainly wasn't an overnight revelation of, okay, I need to stop doing this because when you've been doing it for that, when you've been making yourself sick for that long, it isn't possible to just suddenly be okay. No one's got a magic wand. Um, So it was very, very slow. Um, I had some additional therapy that actually... It didn't focus so much on eating disorders, it was more general and um, I understand myself very very well now. Um, Over the years my um, self-awareness has grown massively. So I'm able to identify patterns. I was able able to identify patterns that meant, okay, I'm slipping back here. I need to speak to someone and get a hold of this. But yeah, it was recovery was very very slow. There were a lot of setbacks, um, and I had to learn to deal with my emotions in a way that was a lot healthier. And lifting weights certainly helped that. Because yeah. like I said, it was never about the scale. It was never because I, I was tiny. I was not remotely fat. It was about control. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm careful because I, I know some there are some people who um, recover, but then they substitute the eating disorder for something else. Mm-hmm. And I was very careful not to do that. I was very mindful that um, my focus shift, shifted from wanting to be in control of everything to live in a healthy lifestyle Mm. and that was I think that's the healthiest thing that I could have done for myself but even now um I've lost weight recently and that has been intentional but that's to that's because I gained weight um after my injury because I obviously couldn't train I couldn't Mm -hmm. move around as well Um, but that meant more weight and more pressure on my knee so I've I've lost that weight Um, but again, I'm still mindful that, okay, I'm doing this for health reasons. It's got nothing to do with the way I look. It's got Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the number on the the scale. It's to make sure that my knee is in the best possible shape. I can get it to be in so that I can return to the mats and compete. So that shift in mindset has taken literally years. Mm. But if anyone is unwell and listening, I do want to emphasize it's not impossible. It will take a lot of work. Um, both by yourself and with professional, with, with professional help, but you just don't lose hope because there is always hope.
0: Amazing, and that—that's kind of what I was alluding to when I asked the question. Was because I, I don't think i well, I've definitely never met anyone who just said, oh yeah, I just woke up one day and I didn't have it anymore. Or like, you know, it just, yeah. it, just it doesn't just go. And it's even you know, when, when you have, you'll have a good day, but then you'll have a bad week and then you'll have a good, then eventually you get to the point where you're having a good week and a bad day. And then yeah. you get to the point where you're having a good month and a bad week. And then you, it kind of, it increases, increases how the the, the good parts last longer and the, the bad parts last less amount of time and they happen less yeah. frequently. Um, and yeah, I, you know, if i'm being completely honest you were saying how you know a lot of people will replace their eating disorder with something else and i was actually talking with uh, with my friend yesterday about this yeah. in the fact that i i think i've made i've made a lot of progress with my eating disorder and with with my kind of underlying issues um, but i think there's i still have a a part of me that i really struggle with that um I, I no longer do a behavior that's detrimental to my, like my physical health. Um, but I still, I still attach, um, efforts to my work, to my, um, self of, um, self-worth. So before it was, I exercise in a certain way and I eat in a certain way because I put so much effort in and that makes me worthy. Whereas now I, I work really hard at my job and I work really hard at doing stuff with my own minds and I work really hard and that's what gives me worth. Um, because I I've noticed that I've started the number of hours I work each day has started to kind of tick up and the, the kind of threshold of where I feel comfortable with myself is starting to get higher and higher. So it's getting to the point now where if I, you know, if I do less than I won't like, you know, X amount of hours, then I feel like I'm, I'm not good enough. And th- those hours are getting to the point where it's more than the, like far more than the average person does. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, 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 so I, I, I resonate you know, if, if people listening who are struggling with that. I, I definitely struggle with that.
1: I think it's very common. It's very, mm. very common. Likewise, if someone has been very overweight and then they lose a lot of weight, you know, that can, it, it, it could be done very healthily, but then it becomes a problem Mm, yeah that's quite common as well
0: yeah i think i think yeah i think it's the and it's something i'm it's one of the reasons why i started my own minds is the i think the fitness community has so much disordered um practices and thoughts and like pushes so much disordered behavior onto people that people get people can get into fitness and health Um, Related stuff. And then they adopt disordered behaviors and then they, it leads them towards disordered, you know, eating disorders or, or exercise addictions or whatever. Mm. Um, And I think there's often this, in fact, today there's a tweet um, that that I saw kind of doing the rounds about Adele um, talking about her like weight loss. And she was saying she there's a quote from her in this, I don't know what article it was, but saying she exercised three times a day. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm a bit addicted to it. And then the reporter was like, I marveled at her ability to do exercise three times a day. Um, and I, and I, I tweeted out about it and said, you know, exercise does make you like does increase health. We know that for a fact. Research shows it. But that does not mean that more exercise equals more health. It like there's there is a point where it doesn't anymore, and yeah. for some reason we just choose to ignore that. Um, and I think it's because it's easier. It's easier just to say, oh yeah, exercise is great, so you can just do as much as you want. But the it, we need to update that description. It needs to be exercise is great for you. But if it goes to this point where you, know, I think Adele even said, and I'm not I'm not trying to shit on Adele. I'm sure you know people twist people's words and it was out of context. Blah, blah blah blah. But Adele said, you know I. Um, I I only exercise because of my anxiety. Like I, I I it was the only thing I had to to stop me um, from fe- from feeling shits basically. And um, she said, and I, again I might be misquoting, but it, she's saying that you know I've, I was addicted. I, I it was the only thing I did to 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 help my mental health to the point where I had to do it constantly. And the reporter's like, oh, it's amazing. What an incredible thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah like imagine like just swap exercise for drugs like like you know like like heroin like you were saying earlier or, or whatever drug you know i i feel anxious all the time so i have to do heroin three times a day and I've, i'm addicted to it everyone would be like oh it's a terrible thing but you put in that yeah. magic word exercise and all of a sudden everything's all singing and all dancing
1: yeah that's not healthy either
0: mm. and it, again yeah and i'm not trying to shit on people who exercise a lot either like there are people who who do a lot of exercise and they're fine and they, they just have a good relationship with it and stuff. But it's, you know, like you were saying, I think some people get into health and fitness and then take on disordered behaviors because they see that, like, because they see that as the, as the ideal and that's where the problems come in.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how do you deal with, um, the kind of tracking food and tracking macros and stuff that people do in sports is that something that's kind of common in brazilian jiu-jitsu and how how do you kind of deal with that what's your opinion on it
1: i don't track anything i don't count calories i don't track macros i don't i don't track anything hmm. at all i just have a balanced healthy diet when it come i compete as i said uh, in Jiu- brazilian jiu-jitsu there are weight categories and i either compete at um Feather, which is under 58.5 kilo in your gi, in your kimono, so which means I have to weigh about 56, 56 kilos, 56.3. If I go below 56.3, my concentration starts going uh, or I compete at under 64 um, kilos, again, wearing your full kit. So for someone who's had an eating disorder, I don't think it's health, even though I'm recovered, I don't think it's healthy for me personally to track anything. What I do do towards competition time is I cut out orange juice. I reduce my bread intake. I don't drink any fizzy drinks and I don't eat chocolate. They are the only things that I do and, um, I, even when I was a kid and before I hadn't eaten of I just so sorry busy.
0: sorry to butt in just quickly, but I just yeah. want to stress to people listening that though though and I imagine you're with me. Those things that you're cutting out isn't because they're bad things or anything. It's no, just, not it, at all. It just helps you kind of get into the competition, whatever, yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it helps me with my my mindset. Also, they are the things that if, for example, if I eat chocolate, I <laughs> I struggle to eat it in moderation. So. I don't want to feel sluggish or slowed down yeah. when it's around competition time. So for me personally, it's better that I cut that out. Yeah. Um, for some people who want to gain weight because some people might want to be in a higher weight category, they may eat more and that's absolutely fine. It's a very personal decision. What weight category you compete in. Um, but for me, I know that if I start weighing things, start, counting calories I think that would not be good for me even though I am 100% recovered from bulimia I don't I think my personality is such that I'm quite obsessed with jiu-jitsu and I haven't changed I haven't substituted the eating disorder for jiu-jitsu but because I'm so passionate about it I want to do everything in my power to um to be able to compete at my best. Do I always win? No, I don't win every fight, absolutely not. But um, there are things that I can do such as make sure I'm on weight because if on the day you are 0.1, if you're hundred grams over, overweight, you're automatically disqualified. So weight is important, but I've thought about, I, I now think about it in a completely different way, mm-hmm. but in terms of calories, um, macros, etc. I do not track those I know some people who do mm-hmm. and they have a very healthy attitude towards it but for me it's not something I will ever see myself doing
0: yeah do, and that sorry go on.
1: I do eat a lot I, I eat a lot of protein generally um and I up my protein take towards competition mm-hmm. but I, I never write anything down or officially track it
0: yeah yeah. And that's kind of what I was alluding to when I let, the reason I wanted to ask that question is because I think it is such an individual thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think I used to have the opinion that no one should do it because I just don't think it's a good idea. Um, I think I think for people who are and obviously this is just a, this is a very much a general thing and it isn't general so it's very personal. Um I think for people who are in a in a position where they feel kind of comfortable with they are and they don't have any kind of like disordered eating or anything like that. I think tracking as someone I did my master's degree in nutrition so I'm in, I'm, I'm relatively interested and I've been down that route quite heavily. Um but I think I think it's it can be good or can be beneficial to track macros for a specific amount of time so you do it for like three months just to learn about like what how much protein is in certain stuff how much of whatever's in certain stuff how many calories are in a certain thing like just to kind of understand like you know the amounts that you're eating and that kind of stuff if that's something you wanted to but I think you know if if you if you do what like if you do want to or do feel like you need to track your calories only it should only be for a certain amount of time to learn about things and then you stop and then you go back to that kind of kind of more intuitive eating. And and I'm the same as you whereas I I don't track and I don't count because I I just don't think it's good for me. And I, I don't think it's really good for like I said for most people. I think it should only be for a short amount of time if you even if you do. Um but it is something that's so accepted in sport and so accepted in the kind of exercising community. Um and yeah I just I just again it's one of those things where I just I don't think it's one of those disordered it's a disordered behavior and in, in it's kind of in itself to a, to a degree because you're you know, you're obsessing over so it depends how much you're doing it to but if you're doing it to the actual gram and you're obsessing over it every single day and and it, you, you get stressed when you don't hit your numbers that is like you know I think by definition that's somewhat disordered it's having a, a negative impact on your life um but yeah it's an interesting one because again, again up from the from the Um, nutrition side I I can see how it would improve someone's performance if they did track um but yeah I just but at the same time as well sorry I'm contradicting myself here but uh, at the same time if someone doesn't track I feel like they're less stressed and that makes them rest better and then that's going to probably equal better performance so you know it's it's you know which one do you pick and it's a difficult question but um an interesting one
1: I think it's a very personal thing, as you said, but also um, elite athletes often work with dietitians. Mm. So I think when you've got somebody very high level working with you in a safe manner um, for a specific period of time, I think that can be healthy. I think it's if when you stop working with them, you start then decreasing and decreasing. I think that can be very problematic. But again, there are people who can count macros etc on their own and track their food without the help of a professional they're not necessarily an elite athlete and they're absolutely fine so it's a very individual decision and it Mm. very much depends on the I think on the person's personality the individual's personality their way of thinking how obsessive they are generally there I think there are a lot of factors to take into account with regards to that but for me personally it's not something I don't think I, I think I'll ever do
0: yeah and a, and a lot like a lot of the elite athletes they don't like you know maybe, maybe the super mega elite they'll get people to like weigh out their food for them and that kind of stuff but you know like i said i, I did my masters at um, loughborough uni in nutrition we i spoke to loads i spoke to the nutritionist at barcelona and um you know all these kind of big time nutritionists and a lot of the a lot of the elite athletes they don't it's not like weigh out this amount of this it's just have mashed potatoes and this like it's not it's not like have this amount this exact amount Mm -hmm. it is more general um because i think that's just the way to be and it's less stressful and it and it yeah just i just personally think it's it's a better way to be but anyway i'm conscious of time i don't want to keep you forever and i don't like to keep the podcast going over for too long um so it's time for the devil's advocate it's the devil's advocate (laughs) uh So for the people listening who this is their first podcast um, and for maybe you, Tiana, if you don't know um, about it already, um, the Devil's Advocate section is a new one that I've brought in basically because I, the reason I ask people on this podcast is because I think they're interesting and I, I like what they're doing. And so usually like in this podcast, it's just a lot of me going, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I wanted to bring in a question where I kind of go against what you what you might think or kind of ask something a bit controversial to, to, you know, make it a bit more exciting. So today's devil's advocate question is, don't you think teaching people to fight will lead to more violence and have a negative influence on their life?
1: Absolutely not. Particularly for women, because if, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is very, very good for self-defense and particularly good uh, for preventing rape because we play a position called guard where someone is literally between your legs and you have your legs wrapped around them and um, it's very very empowering particularly with women it gives them the opportunity to defend themselves because you generally go with the idea that the person who's attacking you might be bigger but they don't necessarily know jujitsu. And um, I know quite a lot of women who have got involved in jujitsu because of domestic violence. So I think it does not cause more violence at all. And in terms of, I know, I know quite a lot of, um, of fathers who are very keen to get there or, or have children who train jujitsu. And if they've been bullied and they've used jujitsu on the bully, they've been left alone. And I don't think that's encouraging violence, that's standing up for yourself. And I think there's a difference with that. Um, That said though, if the person, I think the environment in which you fight in is very important. If you are surrounded by a load of idiots who just want to smash people up, then they might take that onto the street and innocent people could get hurt. But that doesn't really happen as much um so in a nutshell i would say teaching people to fight does not lead to more violence it leads to more self-protection
0: yeah and yeah i I never thought about the perspective of you know helping defend yourself as someone who's who's smaller and specifically the specifically the it's the full guard isn't it where you've got mm. both your legs around and that's
1: Close yeah guard,
0: yeah yeah that's that's um that's a really good point and uh, i suppose something that yeah can help with confidence and um yeah especially with the kind of times we're in at the moment with the women feeling unsafe really. yeah um i think that's really really important thing and um, to bring up so yeah i i agree with you 100% i think as well um I did do, uh, which I know is the kind of, is definitely not as, um, a creditable, um, form, but I did do Japanese jujitsu when I was younger. And a big thing that we used to always do, I was very young, so I can't remember exactly, but I remember we used to always say at the end of every class, we had to recite this thing that said that you wouldn't do it unless it was in Mm self-defense. Um, and I thought, you know, I think, I think a lot of, um, uh, martial arts and, and different kind of, uh, groups like that tend to talk about that idea of this is something that you do in the gym and you only do it if someone is trying to hurt you and it's not yeah. an aggressive thing
1: yeah the other the other thing about teaching people to fight is that it teaches them a lot of discipline it teaches them a lot of patience and self-control so I've had people go off at me not physically but like Uh, shout at me or whatever and because I've learned Brazilian jiu-jitsu I've learned to stay calm in stressful situations I've learned to control my emotions and although that has often angered the other person because I'm so calm when they're kicking off but there are a lot of other um, subcategories of positive behavior that come out of jiu-jitsu so I don't think it's negative in any way to teach people to fight but like I said the environment in which you're learning in is important because if everyone in your gym is a bit of a dick then you're going to be the same
0: yeah and I suppose that that's where it's it's if you when you're picking your place to train try and um yeah don't don't feel like you have to go to the one that you went to first time like go yeah. and then and then if you assess that the, the vibe is a bit shit then leave and go somewhere else yeah exactly. um okay um Tiana at the end of each of my podcasts I ask every person three final questions. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go with them. The first one is name a person, real or fictional, who inspires you. Uh,
1: that would have to be Fionn Davies. She's a Welsh um, black belt world champion. Uh, she trains out of Ireland and she inspires me because apart from the fact she's a really nice person, I've met her a couple of times, um, her jujitsu. jitsu isn't really, really fancy. She doesn't do all these acrobatic moves. It's simple, but very, very effective. And that's, well, I wouldn't insult the poor lady by comparing my level of jiu-jitsu to hers because she's considerably, considerably better than me. Um, But I too focus on more basic moves rather than really fancy spinning acrobatic um, techniques in jiu-jitsu. And she's achieved a lot and she's a huge role model for both women and men in jujitsu, but particularly young girls as well. Young girls as well really look up to her, including me. And I'm not (laughs) young.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Um, The second question and my personal favorite of the three is a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know, positives came from it.
1: I would have to say having bulimia because it has made me such a strong person, both mentally and, well, I wouldn't say physically, Meant more mentally, yeah. Everything that I've been through has made, it sounds really cliche, but everything that I've been through has made me who I am today. And I wouldn't change it for the world. It's been really, really tough. I've gone through some things that a lot of people never go through their whole life. Um, and I never understood why it was happening but how it's shaped me and molded me into the person I am today, I wouldn't change for the world. I have a huge amount of compassion for people towards people. Um, I always give people my time because I know that how people are on the inside isn't necessarily a reflection of what's going on on the inside. So Mm. kindness costs absolutely nothing, but means absolutely everything.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And then that's, you you say it's a cliche and I think, I've spoken about cliches uh, a few times on the podcast and I think because they're said so often, we assume that they don't mean as much, but I think it's important to recognize that a lot of cliches are cliches because they're so meaningful and because they, they touch with so many people. And I think it it is, it may may be a cliche to say that, you know, the, the things that have happened to you have made you stronger, but they do. And I think for people listening who are going through the shit right now, I think it's really important to hear that and to hear, you know, like I said, I think most guests that get on here say something along those lines of, you know, it was shit, but now, now all these great things have happened. Mm -hmm. And I think the people listening can hear that and understand that that is, that's what's going to happen. If you just keep going and just keep, yeah, um, yeah, keep going for it. So um, the final question is, a phrase to live by
1: i have two okay one is you can't teach heart um i'm an ambassador for hyperfly europe which is a jiu-jitsu brand and that's their mantra you can't teach heart so despite all the misfortunes in life um every time you get knocked down it's about your strength to get up um so i live by you can't teach heart and also never give up amazing yeah, they're my two they're my two
0: amazing thank you thank you i mean you cheated slightly by having to but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) um tiana thank you so so much for coming on the podcast today i hope you enjoyed it
1: yeah thank you for having me it's been good
0: i'm really glad i'm really glad um thank you everyone listening at home as always for making it through one of the podcasts and i hope to see you at the next one bye Thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that also if you want to check out myminds.com please do you can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community thank you